What are some of the biggest privacy and security concerns of consumer wearable health devices, and how can those concerns be addressed? I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Michelle Demoy, Deputy Director of Privacy and Data Project at the Center for Democracy and Technology. Michelle will discuss some key takeaways of a new report that she co-authored with wearable device maker Fitbit about security and privacy best practices related to the research and development of wearable devices. So, Michelle, for starters, what are some of the key privacy and security concerns that wearable health-related devices and sensors pose? And what sorts of wearable devices and sensors generally fall under this banner? Wearables are sweeping the nation. I think it's fair to say that. And and a lot of people really enjoy using them. So when we talk about the privacy and security concerns, it's really about enabling this use in a way that's trustworthy so that people can enjoy them but not have to worry about the, the privacy of their data. Some of the biggest concerns that we have are just the amount of data that is collected and how very personal it is. So when you're talking about a wearable, it's on your body usually somewhere, hence the name. And it's collecting things in real time and very sensitive biometric type information. So it can be your heart rate, it can be, you know, your blood pressure, different types of biometric information that is really, you know, obviously intrinsically personal. Also, it can collect things like steps, like a Fitbit. And and while that in and of itself may not seem like really sensitive data, when you put it in a context of location, what steps you took from one place to another, then it becomes a different kind of privacy concern. So mostly what we look at is those areas where contextually the data turns from sort of regular data into sensitive data, and then also just the amount of data that is collected about a person and making sure that companies are being really good data stewards with this information. So Michelle, briefly describe what your study examined, and then also what are the key takeaways emerging from the report? Our study was interested in looking at the internal research and development portion of a wearable company. And the reason that we wanted to look at that is this is especially for startups, but really for for most tech companies, internal R&D is the engine of growth. It is the place where the rubber meets the road. It sort of decides how a company can move forward. So if you have a bunch of engineers using data to figure out if their sensors are working or not working, figuring out what's the next product or feature or service that's going to happen. This really, you can see it really is the map of the future for a company. It's also the place where the researchers and the people at the company have the most facility and most access to data. So we thought this was interesting. A lot of policy groups and advocacy groups have have looked at sort of user data outside of this context and sort of looking at how it's monetized. And and we think those are really important things to ask and and to look at. But we hadn't seen anybody really look at this part. And part of the reason we thought beyond just the fact that this is where the data is and and we think it's interesting that way, part of the reason we looked at internal R&D is because we felt like if we can create recommendations and guidelines for these researchers, for the people who are looking at all this data, this can resonate out into the company. So when you have, especially in the wearable space, where a lot of companies are new and just starting out, if you look at a market leader like Fitbit and you see that they are starting to imbue practices that include privacy, security, and ethical considerations throughout their company in the way that they handle data and the way that they handle lots of things, that this would make a huge impact. So now how important is it for these wearable device makers to set policies and best practices into the design of these products before they even hit the marketplace? And is this sort of privacy by design? 
I think it's really important, but I have to say the reality, and, and one of the things we tried to do with this report is really look at the business reality, is that many companies have already launched and may not have had these considerations built into their products. And I don't want to say that, you know, all is lost. You can't, too late, you have to do this right from the beginning. Actually, I think that's not true. You know, when we approached Fitbit and we started this project, obviously they were wildly successful, had done very well, and they had done some really good things privacy and security-wise, and that was actually part of the reason we wanted to work with them because the idea was a learning experience. It wasn't us going in to find all these things wrong. It was to see what was actually happening in business. And so one of the things that we kind of discovered was, you know, privacy by design is a great idea, but in, in reality, the market pressures to get something out and to do it quickly, those are tremendous. And, and a lot of times privacy and security can get sort of lost in those considerations. So part of what we're doing is saying, yes, that's important, but here's another way that you can do it. And so we approached our recommendations from that place saying, here's some best practices from different frameworks like that a lot of advocates will look at, like the fair information practice principles and, and different ethical frameworks. That's important. But we also put a framework of business reality, is what we called it, on top of all of these recommendations so that they could actually be implemented by people, whether or not they're starting out or whatever size their business is and at whatever stage. So now when it comes to the recommendations, which recommendations would you sort of highlight as most critical in terms of these device makers keeping security and privacy in mind during the R&D process. One thing that I, I found very interesting was the approach that the researchers at Fitbit took to embedding privacy practices. And what that means is, you know, how they anonymize data or de-identify data or otherwise tried to figure out a way to not know whose data this was because really they don't need that. That's not an important part of the research that they're doing. And I felt like they did a really good job, and we kind of lay out a little bit more in more robust detail what we think that they could do to make sure that that stuff is, is happening. But I think what I found to be most important about the recommendations that we made were the three buckets that we put the recommendations into. And this is very novel for public policy. The ideas that we had were the individual, and so this was an idea of individual dignity as something that guides how companies use data. And the idea is, for example, somebody's expectations about how their data will be used should guide when you need to ask them for consent or not. Now, that's sort of intuitive maybe to most of us, but that's definitely not what's happening at a lot of wearable companies or tech companies in general. And so I think some of the recommendations under that are really important. I think the, the section, the next bucket is corporate stewardship. And so the way that we're framing this is that companies are not just, especially in health and wellness, are not just data repositories, right? They are an active part of this health and wellness conversation that's going on in our country and across the world. And so we want them to see themselves as data stewards. And part of being a data steward is making sure that the practices and policies that you implement are formalized, are sustainable, and also have resonance in terms of making sure that in some ways you're participating in the active conversation so you have access, ability for people to have access to their data or maybe even researchers. And then that gets into the third bucket, which is social good. And that's a part of thinking of yourself as sort of a, a data steward at companies thinking of themselves like that. And then when you get into social good, the idea is that there's a community out here that is interested in improving their health. And of course, that's what Fitbit is interested in doing too. And what we wanted to do was formalize, well, here's some ways in which you can kind of take the steps to actually participate in that social good. And so some of the things we say are actually putting resources towards 
projects that improve social good so that they would address things like obesity or heart disease, things that FITBIT would be uniquely positioned to do, and that they should publish these results, that they should share this information with researchers. There are lots of researchers out there who are looking at this information, and the data from FITBIT and from their studies could be hugely important to solving some of our biggest health concerns. And then the other, probably the most interesting part of our social good recommendations would be about making sure that their data sets are inclusive. And this is about the idea that advocates have raised the awareness that the pitfalls of big data as a tool to design broadly applied algorithmic rules, there's a, there's a lot of problems with that. And one of them is that traditionally underrepresented groups may not be in these data sets. And we think that's a really big deal. That's a huge swath of people that aren't being represented in this sort of data set that's looking at social good and social health. And so I know that's not really picking one, but I think those are, for me, they were the most interesting, and I think they're, they seem to be the ones that really resonate, just this sort of framework that we used to approach the recommendations. So now, Michelle, with that said, are there certain steps that consumers can take to better protect their privacy and security when using these devices? And are there certain considerations that consumers should keep in mind when deciding whether or not to even use these devices when it comes to privacy and security? Yeah, I definitely think that people should think about the privacy and security, and actually I think they really do. The problem is you get into sort of a relationship with a company, it may not be clear to you what is happening with your data and why. You know, I think when it comes to internal research and development, it's, it's a little bit of a separate question. Most people understand that their data is going to be used to work on the product, right? I think most people kind of get that, and that's, that's a good thing. That's an expectation that we can understand. But any uses outside of that aren't very clear. So one of the things that I tell people is, Think first what you're trying to do with this device. So what do you want out of this relationship? You're going to be basically giving your data to this company, and they will have a lot of control over it. So it's, it's important to kind of figure out what you're trying to do. If you don't mind sharing it socially, for example, because that helps motivate you, then that's something that you're okay with. But understanding that sharing it socially typically means sharing it fairly broadly, right? And, and if that's something you're okay with, then that's fine. So I also tell people to really look at the setting. You know, most companies now have, have understood that a part of a customer trusting their product is that they allow them to control some of the data and where it goes. And so most companies have privacy settings. And if they don't, you can always check on your on the app that is reading the information. So for a Fitbit, for example, it wouldn't be on the actual Fitbit itself, but on the, the app, the associated app. And then if, if there's an app that you want to control that you're not sure, maybe it's not associated with Fitbit or it's a different kind of company, you can always check on your, your smartphone on those settings. So there's sort of different layers of privacy and security settings, which are such a drag, and I hate that people have to do that, which is part of why I'm so passionate about advocating to the companies themselves to make sure that this kind of protection happens before you even get to the product. So now, Michelle, as healthcare-related organizations or even employee wellness programs begin to collect or use data that's generated or transmitted from these wearable devices, what should they be doing to ensure the security and privacy of that data? Well, employee wellness programs is something I've been I've been really looking at lately. And I think that there are some, some serious questions about how data is being used in those programs. You know, there are massive regulatory acronyms that surround employee wellness programs, including Affordable Care Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act and, and some other players in that, which make it kind of confusing about sort of what's okay for employers to look at and what's not okay. What I tell people and what I think is important to look at is, 
what are the penalties? And, you know, of course, the programs don't really call them penalties. But if you say, for privacy reasons, I'm really not interested in signing up for this. I don't want to do, you know, a health risk assessment or other things that are associated with it, even if I get a Fitbit as a part of it you may be penalized in some ways. You may have an increase, for example, in your premium. And so I think the question that people have to ask realistically, I don't necessarily think this is fair, but is what at what cost? So are you comfortable with paying more for your premiums? And if you're not and you're sort of forced to do one of these health risk assessments, are there ways to kind of reduce how much data is going there? So if you're just doing steps, you might be able to say, okay, I'm not going to give you location, but I will give you my steps and you can use that number. So, Michelle, when it comes to the regulatory area, is the data that's generated from these wearable health devices ever protected under the HIPAA rules? If so, under what circumstances? And also, these devices aren't considered medical devices, so they generally do not fall under the regulatory scrutiny of the FDA. Is that right? That's right. It's something, actually, speaking of sort of consumer expectations, I speak to a lot of people who assume that HIPAA covers all of this kind of information because it's health information. But in fact, for the most part, it doesn't. HIPAA covers sort of a narrow group of entities that include health insurance plans, health insurance exchanges, and, and, so, and providers. So if you are using your fitness tracker, your Fitbit, in association with your provider and you give that information to the provider, that's covered under HIPAA because you're giving it to a covered entity is what it's called. But outside of that, if you are just using it and you're sharing it with an app or a social media company or, or pretty much any other entity that's outside of, of those three, then it's not. And that's a, that's a lot of data. That's a lot of unregulated practices and policies out there. That's one of the reasons why we focus so much on this. The FDA's role, you know, has been fairly restrained, I think, in this space that they've said, you know, we are not really going to get involved in this sort of health and wellness gray area of devices. And I can respect that. I think there's some good reasons why they're doing that. But I also think that there may be a role eventually for them to look at things like the accuracy of the devices, things that would impact the safety of consumers. Any final thoughts concerning how the privacy and security of these wearable devices and sensors can be improved looking ahead? I think that it's sort of a, a crucial mindset, almost a company mindset that needs to change. And I, I actually do think that this is changing. And the mindset is that we are just this sort of data collection silo. And especially when you're, if you're a company that's building a product that's going to use health-related information, I think that that way of thinking of yourself as sort of a data silo has to end. I don't think that that is productive. I think it's not even it's not good business. I think it's not sustainable for a business anymore. And I think that's a big acknowledgement that Fitbit seems to understand, which is creating privacy and security sort of internally and going out from there is one way to actually make sure that your business is going to grow and it's going to grow with the user's trust. And that's really crucial. So I think right now what I want to see is companies coming to places like CDT or other advocacy groups and asking the questions, what, what should we do here? You know, what can we do? And, and the nice thing is, I think, for this report is that we really try to listen to and learn this is what it's like to be a tech company in this business. You know, Fitbit went from 10 researchers to 60 in the time we worked with them. They went from a private company to a public company in the time we worked with them. So we saw all kinds of stages and changes, and it was really instructive. And so I hope that there's more of a dialogue between advocacy organizations and private entities that are working in this space. Thanks, Michelle. I've been speaking to Michelle Demoy. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.